Good morning, this is Kelly McGee, and I'm sorry about my hair, it's just a mess this morning. I tried to do stuff with it, but I'm just losing my hair, so I think we're going to have to pull out the old wig pretty soon. I'll have to scare you with my wig, maybe Halloween, yeah. Anyway, um... I found a David Wilcock, so I thought I'd share that with you. I know that a lot of people like him. And you may have already heard it. It's um, Antarctica at last. I get it, all right? Cuban, tuxedo. But there's a method to this, okay? The thing is, the tuxedo comes off when it gets so hot in here from the body heat that we, as your entertainers and informers, are sweating. And in other years when I do this expo, you notice I'm always touching my nose and people are accusing me of doing cocaine. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is that you think it's hot down there, I got six feet more of heat that goes to rise, right? And within 20 minutes, my nose is just going to be dumping off sweat. So I will try to remember not to touch my nose. But I don't expect that will work. <laughs> so how the heck did I end up, after being online for 20 years doing all this stuff, how did I end up crossing paths with somebody like Corey Good? Because it's almost like a foreign language. One of the problems that we have is, is people who have not really been educated about the big picture of UFOs, they watch something like Cosmic Disclosure, they're like, who the heck is this dude? 
because you notice when Corey's talking, he's like totally deadpan, right? He's not in it to, to he's not like mugging for the camera. He's not wanting to look good. <laughs> he's out there and we have both been through incredible hardships to do what we're doing. And we are not giving up, not even after we did our last taping and Corey ends up in the freaking emergency room. I don't know if you heard about this, but I put the whole thing out on my Facebook page and you guys prayed for him and that's probably why he's alive right now. Thank you. I'm really not kidding. It's a whole other talk I don't have time to go into today, but suffice it to say, there's a guy named Dr. Daniel Benor, and he analyzed hundreds and hundreds of different studies of healing done scientifically in laboratory conditions. 64% of the healing studies of psychic healing showed a profound effect. So what the lame stream is going to do is they're going to show you one of the 36% that didn't work, and they say, oh, see, healing has been scientifically disproven. But we know that it works. And I don't use that power very often, but in a case like that, I absolutely said this is it. If there was ever a time to marshal the crowdfunding of healing, okay, we did it. And he's still with us. Thank God. I got broken into a very strange new reality in 1993 when a good friend of mine in college comes in all white-faced and says, dude, aliens are real. And I'm like laughing. And he wanted me to sit down, and but I could tell pretty quickly he's very serious. Turns out he had a two-hour private briefing with his college physics professor, who had worked for NASA throughout the 1970s. And in the higher echelons of NASA, it was considered common knowledge that extraterrestrials had visited Earth, that they had landed here, that they had crashed their ships, and the ships had been back-engineered into useful technology. And he said, and this was in 1993, within 20 years, the technology that you are going to see will blow your mind and it will come out in the open. And now we take for granted that we got these little buddies here, okay, in which this is like the whole freaking desktop power computer in one little thing. We kind of taken this for granted. Well, that's about the 20, the 20 year time frame is 2013. Sure enough, all this technology that nobody had anticipated ends up emerging. And that was pretty fantastic in and of itself, a fulfilled prophecy. After he told me this data, which included a lot of specifics, you probably all heard it before, about how there were three types, all, all this NASA guy knew was there were three types of beings, some of which look like greys, some of which look just like humans, but they're definitely not born on Earth. And they might have little differences, like their irises are purple, and they have like a diamond shape instead of a round iris or subtle little things like ridges on the roof of their mouth instead of a flat palate like we have. You get enough specifics like that, including propulsion systems and all this weird stuff, and you say, you know what, this guy is telling the truth. Then a few years later, out comes Colonel Philip Corso, who literally said exactly the same thing that I was told in the book The Day After Roswell about parts that had been taken out of UFOs and back-engineered into, and I will list some for you, computer chips, fiber optic cables, light emitting diodes, LED lights. We didn't have that before. Kevlar, like for the bulletproof vest. Velcro, believe it or not. 
infrared night vision. And then there's other technologies that we don't get to hear about, like anti-gravity. So even back in 1993, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If our government, if you want to call it that, got these things and used them and could back-engineer them, then why wouldn't they have taken off outside of Earth's atmosphere? Why wouldn't they have gone around our solar system? And then why wouldn't they want to land on some of these other places and figure out what was there? So very early along in my work, I was lucky enough to find the work of Richard C. Hoagland, who got into Mars. And it, this was the way the book looked when I first got it back in, again, 1993. And it freaking blew me away because I had heard from my buddy that he had done a presentation at the United Nations talking about the space on Mars that he's pointing to right here. That this is not just some trick of light and shadow, but in fact, as you see here, you have this artificial looking face. It's clearly human-like with a headdress around it next to what very obviously looks like a city of pyramids. So you notice there's some very, very pyramid-like things here, but let's take a look at kind of a side angle now. You see the face up at the top right, the pyramids down there on the left, and look down there on the right. That one down there is a five-sided pyramid called the DNM. And this is what it looks like from overhead. Do you think that's some kind of just random crater or mountain? No, come on. And also what we see is that the, the proportions of the human, the Vitruvian man, like Leonardo da Vinci drew, you spread your arms and legs out, that's what it looks like, like it's a human being. Now this thing is estimated to be one and a half miles wide based on the size of the, wow. of the Mars orbiter frames. Wow. One and a half miles wide and probably over a half a mile tall. You could fit millions of people inside this structure alone. And then the other very strange thing, if you look at it, let's see where, I could probably look at it better here. You'll notice that at the top left, there is this uh, river of what looks like, like something ran off of it. And it appears that this thing was actually blown up from the inside, and that's the melt-off of all the heated debris that was inside. There was a war, these people got wiped out. So Hoagland also was really into this stuff about alignments, and he said there was all these alignments between the objects on Mars that we found. And I got so excited about this that it began a research binge. In his book, he also describes some very strange stuff that they found on the moon, beginning with the first mission around the moon that took pictures, which was not America. It was the Russians in 1965. Now look at this stuff. This is before it all got classified. Now you're not gonna see very much here, so I'm gonna zoom in. What we're looking at right now is a photo of the moon. Now that, that thing on the bottom left, that circle is not what we're looking at. That is just some instrument that got in the way of the shot. You look down at the bottom right corner of this photo. I'm gonna zoom in on it a little bit now. You can't really see it, so I'm gonna do it again even closer. There is a freaking glass dome down there. You see that on the bottom right? On the limb of the moon? It's a freaking dome of glass. Right. What the heck is that thing doing down there? I see it. That's not supposed to be there. And if you look carefully, it you used can actually... to be a dome. Well, yeah, it I got it got blown it. up. No, he's right. And we're, this is all going to be part of our story. So, this is a smashed up dome, and this is the physical evidence. Okay, this is 1965, before the government was classifying what they saw. There it is, and it looks like a pyramid. You notice that there's two sides that slope up to the same size and then it's got a flat top just like the ones in Mesoamerica 
very shortly, just a few frames after, the moon rotates a little bit more. That one that we saw on the bottom right is now out of view because it's now covered by more of the moon's size. And then this little guy shows up in the middle on the right. Look at that. You see it over there? Let's take a closer look now. Oh my God. Now this thing is estimated to be miles tall. And you actually have the skeptics trying to say, oh yeah, this is just some glitch in the, in the film. Two glitches in a row? One that looks like a pyramid of glass? One that looks like a tower? You're telling me that's a glitch? How could this thing be sticking miles above the surface? Now, if these were the only examples, that would be fine. But then we have this very, very strange thing Hoagland found. Frame 4822. A lot of times you ask for it, you get totally nothing. It just looks black. But then he kept asking for it and asking for it. And it turns out that one of the times that they sent in a request for it, they got this guy. It doesn't look like a whole lot. And one of the things that he pointed out here was this weird little area in which you see what appears to be a square uh, clearing right here. And you can see the sides of the square you also see what kind of look like pyramids, like a row of pyramids here. Okay, that's all fine and good. Some people want to believe that, some people don't. But when you go over here, NASA typically crops it out right about here. But when he got the original, when whoever was supposed to hide things away in drawer 4822 forgot about not giving them the original, because they got 12 different copies of this thing, some of it didn't have this cropped out over here. And this is what they saw on the surface of the moon. When is that? It's in the original. Lots of people have seen the original. This is not fake. Do you think that looks like a geological formation? Absolutely not. This is a base. It's very likely an active base. This was taken during the Apollo missions, so we're looking at like 1969. And it clearly looks as if you have a series of rooms that are all interconnected at right angles and a tower in the middle that sticks up a little more. And it looks like it's made out of glass-like material. There could be lots of people living in there. Then we have this very strange thing. This is an example of photos that uh, the engineer Ken Johnson was told to destroy his original copies of Apollo photographs, which he was storing. At one point, they were stored in in a broken-down vagrant McDonald's, believe it or not. And it was no longer being used. And so there was all these boxes of NASA images of of the moon. And and they told him, burn them, destroy them. And he didn't, thank God. Now, we've had Donna Teets for the Disclosure Project 2001. I was there. She she then got the name Donna Hare, saying that NASA, her testimony was that NASA airbrushes real stuff out of these photographs. This is the official NASA image of this frame right here. And you notice down here where the arrow is it's different if you go to the ken johnston version over here there's a freaking dome on the surface of the moon which they deleted so please when your friends are telling you you know this is a live stream so you guys can get this and you can have this at home you can watch it as many times as you want you can show people the proof something is going on here there's stuff on the moon that isn't supposed to be there And then this one really blew me away. This is when Richard Hoagland and I ended up co-authoring together. This is the original NASA AS-14-669301. 
And it doesn't look like much, although there's this little tiny fleck of blue you can't really see. But when you image enhance it, yeah, that's where you see the glass. You see all this stuff that looks like glass. Yeah. And then a, another frame taken just a few steps away is uh, 669279. Look at this. Just with a little bit of Photoshop, all you got to do is use the curves filter, which is just pulls out more of what's in the image. And all of a sudden you see glass beams on a massive scale. I mean, this thing, whatever they posed in front of it is freaking enormous. Yeah. Okay, that is an enormous, enormous object. Here's another example where the sun was setting and light catches off of some of these glass ruins. And you see shards poking up off the surface of the moon. It's totally amazing. Now, Corey has also talked about the idea that a lot of ships were left behind on the moon's surface. And this is one that I didn't put in my book. For whatever reason, I just, I can only use so many images. But this is AS-15, P-9625, and 9630. Now, look at this. What we're seeing here is a crater that has this very strange object in it. Oh, that's the... And when we do these two images together, the, um, and then we basically found. sharpen it, it using like known filters, look at what happens. It's called a composite. It, it oh my like gosh! A cigar ship. Now, Corey, um, does this look like anything that you've ever seen? Do you think this one is is a real example? It very well could be. There are a number of crashed vessels there on the on the moon that were from antiquity. There was a major treaty signed, and in that treaty, they are they left all of the debris from the big battle that they had a reminder or a testament for other generations so that they wouldn't uh, have such a, a terrible war again so to me this is an example and this is another one that's really really classic it's called the Blair Cuspids I talk about it in the book this is one of the only surviving images of it from Argosy magazine by Ivan T. Sanderson and if you can't see it very well let's let's do this next one okay what you're seeing here is literally an object that is many stories tall, at least 13 stories tall, obelisk oh, yeah. on the surface of the moon yeah. with others around it. Of course. They and this was formally being analyzed scientifically as of about 1968. And then once again, the clamp goes down. So, Corey, do you think that they were deliberately allowing some stuff like this out in case they might disclose earlier than they ended up doing? Is that part of what was going on here? Yes, they have to seed the consciousness. That's the way their magic works. They will put out information and then redact it or ridicule it later, but the seed is planted. So, yes, it's uh, to set things up. That They have things planned out hundreds of years, and it, it's just a part of their limited disclosure. They don't have anything to do. All right, the jacket is off. This is getting real, folks. We've gone from Tux to Cuba. Okay. Now, this was a Russian depiction of a more side-angle view of what they think was down there. And sure enough, it looks like a city of obelisks. And interestingly enough, a comic book that comes out two years after this breaks into the news called UFO Flying Saucers Issue Number 2 actually did a comic treatment of this. Here's the cover of the magazine and gold key comics they're the ones that used to do the donald duck my father used to take me to the newsstand every sunday i'd buy these gold key comics all the time our graphic novel's gonna look way better than that <laughs> okay fair enough 
This is a historical document, though, bro. You got to appreciate that. And sure enough, what we see here is UFOs on the moon. And then, sure enough, we have this guy here, and he says, my colleagues and I believe that they may be some kind of obelisk, completely different from anything else on the moon's surface. <laughs> now, I don't know if you can see what I can see from here, but you look at this dude's eyes for a minute. That, those are the eyes of a happy man. That's all I'm going to say, folks. They are blood red. <laughs> Keeping the secret is you can just extrapolate. <laughs> you can extrapolate from that what you like. He looks like he is baked as a cake. Okay, I'm going to make it easy for you. It wasn't legal back then either. But there's the obelisks in 1970 comic book. Freaking crazy. And then they fictionalize a little bit. And they have one of these obelisks which creates some kind of gravitational field around itself. But Corey, look at this. All this freaking ancient space junk and bodies captured by the gravitational field of the obelisk. In 1970, what do you think they might be telling us there? They're prepping us for either ancient builder race or some of the groups that came afterwards that built structures. Right. And the idea being that there's a lot of junk left behind on the moon, right? Oh, yeah. There's, it's covered in debris. So that's a very interesting thing. There's all this stuff going on, including back in 1958... Now remember, the NASA frame of that face that I showed you, that didn't show up until 1976. This is 1958. What the heck is this? Come on. How do you possibly maintain a skeptical opinion in the face of evidence like this? A 1958 comic that is called The Face on Mars, in which the actual shape and structure of the face itself other than the fact that it's tilted up straight instead of lying flat, it looks freaking identical almost to the actual face on Mars. And then the whole story is, I talk about this in Ascension Mysteries, my new book, it's all about this ancient race that warred and blew up their planet. They talk about the asteroid belt being the remnants of this exploded planet. So I'm doing all this research. Hoagland's book totally blew my mind. I'm seeing this ruins on the moon, there's ruins on Mars. Somebody's been out in our solar system for a long time. Then in 1996, I read this Law of One material, which is the first book of which is called the Ra material, because Ra is the name of the source. It claims to be a positive entity that helped the Atlanteans and the Egyptians way back when, and their message got distorted and confused, and they had to withdraw. Then they come back, and they were able to get through people that were actually doing intuitive channeling and get messages through. Now, in general, I don't really endorse channeling at all. I think it's kind of really taken a big downturn, but you read this stuff, it's like diving into some freaking scientific manual that has all this jargon and all this very interesting stuff going on. And Corey, we're about to get into the space program, but when you were in the program, did they know about this? Yes, absolutely. The, um, the rank and file were told that it was um, luciferian and evil to stay away from it right but the brass were encouraged to read it and a number of other books so the thing that blew my mind is that there was so much stuff in this law of one that matched up with the research i had gotten out of three years of reading probably 300 books and it's a it's a terrible shame because i left my computer behind when I moved from New York in the house that I'd been staying in, and I had a complete list of every book I'd read in college, and it was about 300. 
and I lost that file, which drives me crazy. Anyway, here's the cosmology, because it's not just all this weird stuff about ETs, it's a, it's a philosophy that they're teaching in this material. It's very strange. It says that the only thing in the universe that really exists is identity, consciousness. Meaning there's only one identity, there's only one consciousness in the universe. Then, it basically says this cosmic consciousness became lonely or bored, something like that. And it decided to experience multiplicity. But the trick is it can't just sit there like somebody crazy in the corner with two puppets on his hands and ha 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 ha, oh yeah, yeah. It had to actually give each, each piece free will to be able to define its own curriculum. And so that law of free will becomes central to the whole discussion. The law of free will. Free will must be preserved for anybody in the universe, which means if you violate free will, you get karma. So one of the things that Corey found out in the course of his work, and remember, he's truly unique in the sense of being a whistleblower who actually was out there in a spaceship and managed to come back to Earth, recover his memories, and come forward as an insider. And he validated what so many other people had told me. And so he's actually out there flying around and remembered everything. And one of the things you said, Corey, is that they that these different space programs, they already have over 100 colonies in our solar system and what are what would i mean we have some art coming up in a minute but what are some of these colonies like what are we seeing well the ones that are owned by the icc they are very sprawling they have everything they have areas to where they take raw materials smelt them break them down create uh, you know the raw materials to be put into whatever they're, they're building or manufacturing then they have manufacturing plants they have the actual, um, the, the, the part of the colony where everyone resides. It's, it's just imagine any type of industrial program down here. It's pretty much mirrored up there. And we got some great art coming up, and I don't want to run too far out on that. So as he just said, there's mining facilities, and they have the living quarters fairly nearby. And you said that there's these truck kind of ships that they use sometimes to move. Yeah, these they're very for mining mostly. Right. Very large, look like giant containers that you would see on a on a ship. But they look kind of like big rigs, strangely enough. But without wheels, yeah. Yeah, without wheels. But yeah, those I've seen those several times, and they're they're usually transferring uh, things back and forth from the uh, mining operations. And so the mining could be occurring on any number of moons or asteroids in our solar system. Correct. It's happening on almost all of them because they all have unique properties. Interesting. All right. So we also know that there are multiple gigantic manufacturing plants just on the planet Mars alone. There's one less now. There's one less. Yeah, after the, the Mars atrocity. Uh, so given that we showed people earlier in this talk the face on Mars, the pyramids on Mars, that stuff's obviously really old. Total Recall, very strange movie, right? They go in, and if you don't, if if you miss it, you could you don't see that at the end when when Arnold puts his hand into this thing, and all the cores go into the ice and melt that ice to create atmosphere for Mars. It all the water comes shooting up out of a pyramid. Wow! So if those pyramids are still there and Viking f photographed them. Have we gone back inside? Have we seen what's in there? Have we, can we use it? What's, what's going on with those, the face on Mars pyramids? 
Well, most of what is on Mars is completely destroyed. You, you, you'll see, I mean, it looks like, uh, what, the, is it Machu Picchu? Machu Picchu? The place where all, Pumapunku. Pumapunku, yeah. where all the stones are just strewn about. Okay. You'll see, sometimes you'll see like a corner of a block sticking up and it'll look like a pyramid. There, it's just, it's destroyed. It's all so destroyed. there's really nothing to go in and look at when you go in there? Well, whatever has been, they have people that come, are not people, but non-terrestrials usually, that come and pick through all of okay. all of that and take what is uh, useful. But uh, yeah, we've found some things that that we've removed from these locations. So you can imagine now, I mean, it's it's gotta be frustrating. It's frustrating for me, right? Hearing all this stuff and going, why the F are we not being allowed to see all this great stuff? Why are we being kept in the dark down here? You saw the stuff on Mars. You really think that that's a trick of light and shadow? You really think that those towers on the moon were just because, oh, well, yeah, the camera screwed up? No, this stuff is real. And that's why I wanted to start with some really hard data, because Corey is not alone. We've been hoping that new insiders were going to come forward to corroborate this, We've got people that are starting to want to come forward now. We're getting more testimony, and it all crosses together. There's no way that all these people could be lying about this with all the data in the law of one and all the provable things that we know. And so this is a really rare and amazing opportunity for us to learn about something that is so much beyond, and I don't want to insult anybody, but you all know if you've been to UFO conferences maybe even as little as five years ago, oh, Roswell again? You know, oh, right, the saucer, look, it's metallic. Oh, my God. Come on, we're done with that. we got to actually figure out where, why are there so many different types of UFOs? Why do they all look different? And what Corey's revealing to us is he said, if you didn't catch that, it's very important. Our people in the military-industrial complex space program, the, the greater one, of course, which is not really the military-industrial complex anymore, it's like a breakaway group, they're working with 900 different civilizations, and that's, as they told you, right, it's, that's the ones that they're really trading with the most. And yes, there are others they, as well, right? They were actively trading with over 900 non-terrestrial groups. But then there's other groups that are kind of sometimes trading with them as well, right? Yeah, yeah, they're sort of like nomadic almost groups, and they make right. it around to our area, and then we trade. So... This is where things get really interesting. We're going to start with the one that Corey got introduced to first. As you've heard his story before, I'm sure all of you have. If not, go watch Cosmic Disclosure. We have a nice opening intro that you can see for free on blueavians.com, as he said, B-L-U-E-A-V-I-A-N-S.com. You can watch it free of charge. You don't have to sign up or anything. It had a huge number of views online. And he had done these programs in the space program, like we said, going and visiting these colonies. And then he gets pulled back in, starting on February 27th, 2015, only really about three months after we started to talk regularly, and he started to reveal all of his information to me. These blue avians, which he hadn't, you, you had had them contact you at home, that's one of your testimonials, and I remember you wouldn't even tell me about it. No. It was very personal, private to you, you wouldn't say a word about it. Well, for a couple of reasons. When I first got contacted by the Blue Avians, I was concerned because <laughs> I'd been in all these projects. I'd known about hundreds of different non-terrestrials. Not once have I heard about an eight-foot-tall bluebird. Not once. 
So yeah, I was a little concerned. And uh, I definitely was not wanting to go around telling people I was talking to an eight foot tall bird, you know, when I, especially when I was just starting <laughs> to get to know him. Well, I can take anything. I mean, pour me three loaves, bartender. Whew. Blue bird, got it. <laughs> Aliens, <laughs> just don't drink it at the airport. <laughs> exactly. Then, very shortly after they asked this secret space program alliance, they said, go get this man, his name is Corey Good. About three days later, two, three days later, I forget whether it was 28 or 29 days in 2015 of February, but you actually got, well, I say teleported, but that was wrong. It was a, it was a transport, right? You, that was when you had the dark craft. Right. To this Lunar Operations Command. Now, this is brand new. World debut. You guys are seeing stuff nobody's ever seen before. Yeah, it's part of the graphic. You might need too. the live stream to really get a good view if you're way in the back, but this is what, Corey? What are we looking at right now? This is the dart. What I sometimes accidentally call a dodge dart. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, it fits two crew in the front, and then in the back there are three seats. Not a lot of room for cargo. It's just a transport. This was what was sent to Oops. my backyard to pick me up, to take me on to several different places, but in, on this occasion to the Lunar Operation Command. So this is, you said two seats in the front, three in the back? Correct. And you mentioned before that a lot of people are getting picked up and they don't even know it because they're getting blank slated. Well, these people, they... these people that came up with me that during that time period were not blank slated. Okay. They came, they're they're back here on earth they i don't know what their uh, mandate is but you said this is really not much bigger than like a van right it's a yeah it's it's about the size of a like a car okay yeah. and you said it kind of it kind of flutters a little bit when you step on it as right you walk yeah up the doors it. would pop up and when i'd step in it it would kind of it would go down and, and slide a little like it, is this Corey a semi-accurate at least depiction of what you ended up seeing when you got up to this lunar operations command or loc no this is actually one of the the first i guess goes at creating the briefing room that i was in at the lunar operation command okay it was very much like what you would see at a college campus very very similar so th this is i guess more of a stylized view that we've sort of corrected since then okay these guys are not they're not wanting to keep this all secret from us, right? This meeting that you got brought to wasn't about keeping secrecy. It was about disclosure. Absolutely. Their man, the mandate of the SSP Alliance has been, it is time to disseminate all of these advanced technologies, but disseminate it in a way to where all of humanity is exposed to it at the same time, not just a small group of privileged. This is... This, I mean, this is their mandate. This is, they, they want full disclosure. The SSP Alliance is probably the only group out there right now that's still rooting for full disclosure. And, and I think we're going to get it. <laughs> I think we're going to get it. Okay, so the Sphere Being Alliance ties back into a bunch of actually visible things, and I did it last year. We're only going to do a couple now because people always complain, oh, my God, he repeated information. But what started to happen in the, in the late 1990s is that these gigantic planet-sized objects were seen around the sun, in some cases flying into the sun. Here's an example of two 
planet-sized objects colliding with the sun, and NASA says it's a complete coincidence that these things collide with the sun, and then the sun has an emission. And uh, I'm not even, we're not doing that. No, no, no semen jokes or anything like that. Okay. He tells the joke without telling the joke. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you how stupid you are. It's same, same kind of thing. Oh, they already know. They already know. Look at That's this. That's an ejaculation. It's an animated GIF file of two gigantic objects. It's fast, but you can see these two things go crash into the sun, and the sun belches out this huge blast of light and, oh, and fire. Belches. And NASA says, oh, those two events are completely unrelated. Okay, now what do they try to do? They try to say, oh, well, these are just a couple of comets. Okay, well, I don't think so. But anyway, here's one of the ones that's really stunning, and there's a bunch of these, and in the future we're yeah. going to present them all much more streamlined. We're getting to that. July 31st, trippy. 2002. Really if you look carefully, what you see here, this is... I have uh, that one. There's, there's two white flecks. It's going to be hard to see this from the audience, but if you're on the live stream or you have it, you order it at home, you can see this. You see there's a white spot on the left and a white spot over on the right. Now, the white spot over on the right is a planet-sized object that is not supposed to be there. The one on the left is Mars. The one on the right is what this guy, Kent Stedman, on cyberspaceorbit.coms. He's now deceased. He was the guy following this. He was calling them sun cruisers. Now, you'll notice there's a white line through the middle of it. That is because it's so bright, it's overloading what's called the CCD sensor on the SOHO satellite that took this picture. There is no actual line around this thing. It is just a gigantic planet-sized object. The guy that he said is deceased now, um, he um, was confined to his bed. Um, that's how bad he was. And so what he did was he would just go through um, using that program looking for things and then one day he found it. And that's like his life's work. But, you know, he contributed, you know. And these things are flying around the sun. Now look at this. The very next day, August 1st, 2002, remember, because it was July 31st, now it's August 1st, we go back, and there's Mars parked in the exact same position, and the planet-sized object on the other side is totally missing. And then a lot of times, this would happen, the, the SOHO would capture these, and then there's an accident. The sensor breaks down. Oop, we got to take it offline. So, Corey... Ah, oh, there's there it is. I gotta stop doing that, man. Damn. Okay, so there it is, July thirty first. You can see the little white dot on the right, and I'm gonna hit it again, and boom, the very next day it's gone. But Mars is parked right where it always was. And there it is again on the right. And notice where Mars is on the left here. It doesn't even move when I hit the button. But this other object disappears completely. Okay, so. you were one of the ones that informed me that people were aware of these things besides just guys on the internet saying, oh, it's a, it's a big spaceship around the sun. What was the view on the inside when these giant spheres started to show up? Originally, when the spheres started to show up, there was a lot of excitement. They thought it was the return of the Sumerian gods and the people that they were very willing to worship and work with. But these spheres came into the solar system, parked, then cloaked, and then didn't answer any hails. 
any communications. So immediately, how many how many spheres? In in the beginning, it was like a hundred, and then they just kept on pouring in and pouring in, and they they could tell that they were lining up equidistantly all oh, throughout crazy. the solar system. Oh, so military-minded people are thinking, you know, this is an invasion. Maybe we should attack them. Let's get ahead to that slide because we have that here. That was one of the original art things that you commissioned. Yeah, it's really old. Yep. So the, the cool part is that when you actually get brought up there, some of what starts to happen is that you're getting these spheres actually showing up in your house and talk, tell us how that transport system worked. What was what was the experience that you had? It is a, a blue sphere will appear in my house, a, a, an orb, and it'll zigzag around like a, almost like a ping pong ball bouncing around until I indicate that I'm ready for transport. Usually, I have to take off like my electronic watch. I can't bring any electronics, so I, I prepare, and then I indicate that I'm ready. I put on clothes. <laughs> there are many of the times I've, to I've told my, the stories about going different places, but I don't talk about my hair sticking straight up. And, uh, <laughs> so I indicate that I'm ready to go. All of a sudden, the, the sphere just changes sizes to where it encompasses my body. And once I'm inside of it, there's j it's just a quick, it's almost like a, a blur or a smear. It happens so quickly. And then I'm at the location. And so this is not how most people are getting around in the space program. This is a very unusual thing. Extremely unusual. <laughs> yes. All right. So the Blue Avians finally reveal themselves after all these years of the spheres not saying who they are, not responding to hailing signals. Then the Alliance in the secret space program finds out about these guys and they ask for you by name. Right. The, the Blue Avians around 2011 started contacting both Gonzalez and I through dreams, which they have a protocol. They follow this protocol religiously almost. Right. So, yeah, I, I was getting the contact. They were sort of nurturing a relationship with me. They were doing the same thing with Gonzalez. And, at, and while they were communicating with him, he reported it to the SSP Alliance, who wanted more information, of course, but... What had, what had occurred is they had gone to Gonzalez, the, the Blue Avians went to Gonzalez and stated that they wanted a certain person by name who he, you know, he didn't know who I was. After that, they, they looked into my background. They found a lot of the SSP information. A lot of it was redacted, which is not supposed to be possible. So they, they, they really wanted Gonzalez to be the ambassador someone military, someone they can control, but instead I was chosen. And, and he, I had no idea that he was in contact with the Blue Avians, and he had no idea that anyone else was in contact. Right, and so the Blue Avians at this point, it was already well known that I had the show on Gaia, and that we were actively looking for insiders who wanted to come forward. And this only happened to you right after you actually did use your real name and go public. That's a nice even, way to put it. Even though it wasn't something you wanted. Right. I was sort of outed unceremoniously, right. but yeah. But do you think that you coming forward with your real face, your real name, your real identity was part of the cosmic handshake that had to take place in order to allow this contact to occur? 
I guess it showed commitment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is what you actually saw. And if you haven't seen this before, this is the art that we got from Andrew Jones, which was then turned into 3D. Yeah, that was turned into 3D by someone else. And I was there as we constructed this, and it was very emotionally powerful for me. I actually broke into tears as this image was appearing. It moved a number of people in the room. Yeah, it was very intense, actually, when this was happening. And uh, so we're seeing a being that looks pretty human-like, but it's got small, fine feathers all over its body, right? That's part of, if, if we're correctly interpreting what we're looking at here, there's sort of these shiny, purplish-blue feathers, and then longer feathers that kind of act as hair, a very punk kind of hair, too. Right. New age, new wave. So um, then we have the golden triangle head beings, which have some unpronounceable name. Could you try to pronounce it? Or is it not even possible? I, I, I thought you, you went like or something like that. Wasn't that what it was? Uh, it's something really weird. <laughs> it's kind of almost like a screech and a. It's, it's weird. <laughs> so here's what they look like. Now, how tall was this guy? 10 feet. So he's even taller than Blue Avian because Blue Avian, you said, is 8 feet. Yes. And it looks like they're. Either there's a mirage in front of them, or they're underwater. They're, they move very fluid-like, and they don't look like they have bones. And, I mean, kind of like an octopus. And then their toes and fingers, they have three, and they stand up on their toes like a tripod. And then, I mean, and their toes do this, and they kind of go up and down. It's very strange. Very okay, strange. Now, now, one of the first questions that the SSP Alliance asked the Blue Avian was what? Are you the raw from the law of one? Oh. And what was uh, he said? Are you the raw from the law of one? And what was their answer? Uh, uh, Tier air just had me answer back. I am Raul Tier Air. Raul like raw. Yeah, they yeah. they pronounce it Raul. Okay. No. Which so, may, may be the way the original word is. Yeah, we probably got it messed up. Which we mess up everything on this planet, right? That's part of the game. Now, what's interesting about that, and it's kind of like their free will chess game, is that every time they're asked a question in the Law of One, their answer starts with, I am Ra. Correct. So, it very much looked like that's what was going on. Now, I was really suspecting that this was the same Ra as the Law of One, and at home, so shortly after this happened to you, I was in my kitchen. You might have heard this story before. If not, I want to get it on record. I'm in my kitchen, and I say, is this, are these blue avians, in fact, the group that did the Law of One? Because it sure looks like it. And I asked the question telepathically, which is something we're going to get in tomorrow. For the first time, I'm actually going to talk about this. I've been doing this conference 12 years. I haven't talked about this stuff in 10 years. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow night. I'm finally coming out of the cosmic closet, okay, which is a lot worse than being gay. Being gay is not even a big deal anymore, which I'm not. Okay, but everybody thinks I'm gay on the internet. Apparently the military does too. That's fine. Okay, but <laughs> saying that you can channel higher beings of I consciousness. I think they'll protest too much. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going there. This could get into a big, big thing. So... 
I had this experience of doing psychic readings and I actually ran a business from 1998 to 2005 with 500 paying clients, people bursting into tears. I'm speaking on behalf of higher beings of consciousness, telling people things that predicted the future. There was one lady who had all these poems that she'd written. They actually started to quote from her poems, which I'd never even, I didn't even know she wrote poems. Not only did they quote from the poems, but they explained to her what they meant. So this was an experience I had that's not you, okay. I was like, uh-oh. If he's doing that, I'm dying on stage, right? They quoted from her freaking poems, and this didn't just happen once or twice. This happened a lot. And so, of course, when I'm on the George Norrie panel tomorrow at 2 o'clock, he's obviously going to bring up, so, Edgar Casey, right? Oh, man, really? You're going to do that again? Every freaking time. Yes, I'm going to show you again tomorrow night the facial similarity of myself and Edgar Casey. Because it's time. I, I've so many people don't want me to talk about this that Corey didn't even know about it. Believe it or not, when we actually did our last taping, I sat him down. I explained to him this whole Casey thing, and he hadn't even heard it before because I've totally avoided talking about it. So I was in the kitchen, and I still can get access. It's not as much as I used to do. I had some very bad things happening in my life, and I didn't dare try to do this because you have to have a really sacred consciousness, or it's not going to work. You're going to get the wrong channel. I did not want that. So basically, after about 2005, I pretty much discontinued it because my life started to get really intense. And I didn't want to try my fate with the wrong side of the fence. But I can still get little things, and, and I'm trying to build it back to the point where I have the right consciousness to do it properly again. So I'm in the kitchen, and I say, okay, are you guys the raw from the law of one? And I wait, and I listen, I meditate, I get deep, and I hear three words. Go outside now. Two He didn't answer the question. Are you the rock and the law of one? Go outside now. Like Sounds like a text you got from me at uh, Contact in the Desert. <laughs> That's similar, yeah. Third time. Are you the rock and the law? Go outside now. Okay, freaking fine. I'll go outside. Walk out the front, and I filmed this, and at some point I'm going to use the film. There is this huge freaking rainbow in the valley. This big full arc rainbow and then another time later on when I ask the same question again and I'm on a walk, boom, I turn the corner and there's another big rainbow and then Corey and I were talking about this remember this? We were at uh, a restaurant, I'm not going to say which one, we're at a restaurant in Boulder because it's like product placement if I give the restaurant name, we don't need to give them free publicity but um, and we're talking about the same thing and we freaking walk outside and there's a double rainbow again so it's happened three times. I was quite amused at uh, the people around's reaction when you started jumping up and down. <laughs> a rainbow, a rainbow. <laughs> Double rainbow, dude. Yeah, interesting looks. Oh my Even God. <laughs> yeah, one guy asked you, is that your God? <laughs> That's right, he did. Yeah. He did, that was funny. And remember there was a little girl in the restaurant that started, oh, the bird, the bird. That was another really weird synchronicity. We get these weird synchronicities. And so I asked the question, and they say, go outside now, which seems like the rainbow is the answer, and the answer is yes. But again, it's like this weird thing where they don't really say it. Never a direct answer. But eventually, they did tell you flat out, yes, we wrote the law of one. And that's a huge development for me because it explains, okay, yes, they're the group. They're the ancient builder race. Law of One says they started on Venus 2.6 billion years ago. They built all these pyramids everywhere. They took off 
they ascended, but now they become what's called the guardians, right? And they've come back in these giant spheres. So when these guys in the SSP Alliance were asking them, why did you come in these giant spheres? What's the purpose of this? What was their answer? To attenuate the energies that are coming from through the cosmic web through our sun. Right. Because we wouldn't be able to handle it in our current state. Attenuate means to kind of like control it and modulate it so it doesn't happen too much at once. If they didn't use these spheres, and we're talking about the Mayan calendar end date, of course, you guys all know, 2012 was a big flop, but look, the science was so good that I was going forward with this year after year leading up to 2012. 2012 was not a big flop. What was supposed to happen happened. We were just all wrong. Hmm. That's interesting. That's also during the time that the sphere started coming in in mass into the solar system. So, you know, a lot occurred in 2012. It's all very congruent, this idea of ascension. I'm going to get way more into that tomorrow and on the Monday workshop. It's a huge subject about this idea that the sun's going to do a flash. And, Corey, you have still heard that there is going to be some sort of solar event that has a transformative effect on consciousness, but the date range now is more like 2018 to 2023. Is that still true? 2024. 2024. Yeah, okay. they, they added a year. So, look... All this stuff, if you've seen my scholarship, we have extensive documentation of so many ancient cultures predicting the sun is going to do something huge and that it transforms the very essence of what it means to be human. It totally ties in with the idea of the Tibetan rainbow body. There's 160,000 documented cases, as I always say, of people meditating for 12 or 13 years. If you can only have loving thoughts for 13 years, then you get to ascend anytime you want which is very difficult. <laughs> it took me two hours to get here in the traffic today in the rain. So we start the clock today. <laughs> It'll probably start the clock again tomorrow and start it again the next day.
confirmation from four different sources on the inside that 47 top-level Washington, D.C. pedophile prosecutions are going to be filed next week. Uh, It's backwards, guys. (laughs) Can y'all read backwards? I don't know. Oh, I think we might down. have a technical glitch. Yeah. <laughs> it looks good to you back there, but it doesn't look good to everybody else. I'm just going to clue you in. At least we got something. <laughs> Warts and all, a David Wilcox show. How amazing is that shit? Now look, I'm not... I don't support what these people are doing at all. This is a very, very horrible thing. But as you all know, I've said this so many times, it's if you throw up, you'll feel better. We can't change the fact that it's that they're drunk. Okay, we can't change the fact that there's a sickness here. You're not. This is not something that we do on our own, per se, but it is something that must be dealt with when it is coming to our attention and so we don't go anywhere by being in denial but one of the really great people who have been covering this is uh, a guy who worked for the Huffington Post and he published a very popular video from Infowars on Huffington Post that was questioning Hillary's health because remember she was having those seizures and stuff and they fired him from Huffington Post and they deleted every article he'd ever written just for publishing this thing on Hillary. His name's David Seaman. And he's awesome. Okay, some of you know who he is. Well, I guess I can say this now. I sought him out, and I actually was able to make contact with him because he lives in Boulder, Colorado. And I gave him an enormous briefing, like four-hour briefing over dinner. And the guy's just like... (laughs) I mean, it was crazy. Okay, well, got to run before you can fly. I think we're kind of halfway there now. Desktop, rear, ceiling, front. Oh, boom! Oh, shit! Yeah! It's happening. I told him, dude, I apologize because this stuff is so weird. And you're coming at this as an academic. You're coming at this as somebody who wants the credibility. And I'm sorry that the truth is so freaking weird. But it is the truth, dude. I'm sorry, dude, but like reptilian aliens exist. (laughs) I'm sorry, but there's giants with elongated skulls and their skeletons have been found all over the planet. You can research it and you'll find out. The Smithsonian Institution would say, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. (laughs) Smithson is the guy that founded the Smithsonian Institution, high-level Illuminati member. 33rd degree Mason, Smithson, yeah, Smithsonian. It's his organization. They were going around, and they were grabbing these skeletons, and according to one of my highest-level insiders, uh uh-oh, that's me, According to one of my highest level insiders, in the beginning, they were literally taking these skeletons and dumping them out into the ocean because they didn't want anything to ever.